Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. And welcome if you are a first-time listener. I'm so honored and happy that I have you. I truly am. I don't know how you heard about the podcast, but I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you're here with us. In this podcast, I interview people who are just truly doing something beautiful in the world. And it just renews my sense of hope. I always walk away from my podcast interviews in such a good mood because I'm like, oh my gosh. Lord, thank you so much for bringing me these people to talk to. It's so great. We hear all of these terrible things in the world all the time. And of course, they exist. Bad stuff exists. Suffering exists. But it's really nice to renew yourself in the beautiful works that are going on around us, you know? So that is what we do here. So we have a couple announcements, three in particular, that I want to make sure that you're aware of. And they have links in the show notes. You can always get more information there. But three things that are going on right now that are time sensitive. So that's why I definitely want to make sure that you know about them is one, Luxue registration will be this fall, this September, 2019. We only open up registration twice a year and only for like a couple weeks. So I want to make sure that you know that it's coming up, depending on, I guess, when this this podcast is is put out, but it'll be up really, really soon. So go to the Luxu link to make sure you either get on the wait list or get on so you're notified. So when registration opens, you can grab a spot inside that. And if you're wondering like, well, what's Luxu? The link will tell you, but really quickly, what I can tell you right there, right, right now is this. Luxu is a online Catholic membership site for Catholic women that is designed to inform you, inspire you, and empower you in the Catholic faith. And we do that by creating courses, these like small mini courses, it's nothing daunting, on the faith, on pertinent topics on the faith. We have great people who are teaching inside Luxu. It's not just me, but other amazing Catholic women. We have a few priests coming in, a great community there. And so that is Luxu. The largest group inside the Catholic Church is the laity. And within the laity, women comprise the majority of it. And for far too long, we have not been catechized, at least well enough, put it that way. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not pointing the blame at anything, but I'm just saying there's a lot of reasons for that. And I have found that we are just not, we women are not becoming the leaders that we've been created to be from Christ Jesus. And there is a there is a lack there. So I want to help with that. I want to help help you know your faith better so that you can become empowered to share it with others. And, and others meaning maybe it's just your spouse or your children or your community. Or then you, because of your experience in Lux you, you're gonna you're gonna start and, and become more active in your in your home parish. Whatever it might be, the inspiration behind Lux You is the woman at the well in John 4. And um, the Eastern Church has given her the name of Saint Fotina. And Fotina means light. And so as you know, the woman at the well, she encountered Christ there at the well. 
And then because of this amazing transformation that happened and he reveals his identity to her, she goes back into her town of Samaria. She tells him about Jesus. The town invites Jesus and he stays for a couple days and most of the town is converted. So this is our calling. Our calling is to meet Jesus, to know Jesus, to know our faith and share him with others. Now, just so you know, Photina is Greek for light and Lux is Latin for light. So that's how that works out. So if you want to know more information, click on the Lux you link. The other two announcements is that the next one is, this one's fun. I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about all of them, but this one is, is kind of just like really fun. I am leading a pilgrimage to Italy with Father Michael O'Loughlin. Now, if that name sounds familiar, that's because he is one of the hosts of the very popular Catholic podcast called Catholic Stuff You Should Know. And so he and I, we lead these pilgrimages together every couple of years. So June 2020, we are going to Italy the first half of the month. Click on the pilgrimage tab and you'll get all the information. We're going to hit some amazing cities, Rome, Assisi, San Giovanni Rotondo with Padre Pio. And then where you're going to hit, wait for it, the Amalfi Coast. That's right. So after we lead you through this amazing spiritual retreat, we're going to let, let you soak it all in, take some time, go on a boat ride, be on the beach with a nice fruity drink, and just take in the beauty of one of the most beautiful places literally in the world. So excited about this trip. I cannot wait. I really hope that you come with me. It is so much fun. People become family. It's just, I love this. I love leading these. I'm away from my family from two weeks. And I know sometimes you may be like, well, Leah, that kind of sounds like a vacation. It is for a couple days, but trust me, I miss them. But I do this because the impact is so great for me and for others. I watch people, I have a front row seat to the Holy Spirit working miracles in your life. Miracles, my friends. I have seen oh, some of the most amazing things happen on, the, on these trips. It is just unreal. I highly encourage you to go on a pilgrimage with myself, with someone else, but go on a pilgrimage. If you're interested in this one, click on the pilgrimage link and you'll get all of the details. All right. And the very last announcement we have here is that we have created here at the Do Something Beautiful podcast a Patreon page. No good work is ever done alone. I say this, but it is so true. Every good thing that we do is comprised of many people who are helping uh, helping together towards that goal. I love doing this podcast and I want to do more. So we are looking for people to support the podcast, for you to become a patron of the podcast, to support it financially so that we can offer you a better experience. And what I mean by that is this, we want to do video long form conversations with some of our guests. So we want to have, you know, bring guests in, record them video format and have a long in-depth conversation about some topics that really deserve, honestly, a little bit more time than 30 or 40 minutes. And so to do that, we just, we need more financial resources to pull that together from equipment to the time it takes to do all the editing and everything with that. But it really would create a better experience for us long-term with a podcast. So that's what we want to do. And we need your support. So if you do support us, there's a lot of tiers that you can support us on. I mean, they start at $2 a month. So you can go and check it out on the Patreon link in the show notes. And just so you know, because you know, you know, my friends, that I'm a big office fan. So all of the tiers are named after an office character. So, and, and, and you actually get stuff, you get stuff at every single level. So for instance, at the gym helpert, 
level. You'll get a variety of things, one of which is a really beautifully designed, I'm really proud of this, beautifully designed, do something beautiful coffee mug. I love it. It is so beautiful. And so that's those are that's like one of the things that you would get, plus a lot of other stuff here that I do just for my Patreon members. This little do something beautiful swag that I have is just available for my Patreon members. So I hope that you consider becoming a patron of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. We would really love it so much. So on to our guest today. We are talking with, I guess we, it's me really. There's no... <laughs> There's no one else. There's no other host. I don't know why I said we. But I am talking with Sarah Chris Meyer. She is the author of a book. The book is Becoming Women of the Word, How to Answer God's Call with Purpose and Joy. This book is a spiritual pilgrimage through the Old Testament. And it ultimately lands in every story with Mary, Mother of God. It's one of those few books that I read and review where I'm like, oh, man. Sarah gets it. She gets why we need to know about these women in the Old Testament. This is not a compilation of stories that are interesting. This goes deeper than that. I mean, I'm I'm a fan. I am telling you, I'm pouring my heart out to you right now. Like this is seriously a fabulous book. It has I have sat with it in my morning meditations and just cried. I was like, oh my gosh, I I see parallels between me and some of the women and their struggles and my struggles. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And just seeing it in another person kind of helps us maybe sometimes see it in ourselves. At least that's what it did for me personally. We go over a few characters inside this book, ones that you may not know very well, Rahab being one of them. It is, they're just so good. I mean, so good. And Sarah is, she really knows what she's talking about here. I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. I know you will. But I hope that you take the challenge that she gives you at the end and two, take my challenge right now and grab this book and don't just get one. Make sure you get a couple copies for you and another woman in your life. This would be the perfect book to bring into your Bible study of like, oh, what are we going to read next? What should we go over? Boom, done. You are like the winner of the year if you bring this into your study because it is going to just unpack some amazing greatness upon you of these women in the Old Testament and, and their beautiful connection to Mary with the mother of God. It's fantastic. So I cannot wait for you to listen to this. So here you go. Here is Miss Sarah Chris Meyer. Welcome back to the podcast. So, so honored and excited to have with me here, Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Leah. I'm so excited to be here. I am pumped to talk about this book that you have out, Becoming Women of the Word. Let's kind of jump right into this because we're going to go into and we're going to give you listeners a few, a couple tastes of some of the women that Sarah has written about and reflected on. And it's so wonderful. I am really, really excited to do that. But before we begin that, let's talk about how this came about for you. Have you always been attracted to women of the Old Testament? Has that been something that's always like reached out to you? Is this a new process for you? How did that develop? 
Well, I've always been attracted to the Old Testament in general. I think the the stories are just wonderful. And for years, I've been teaching people the overarching story of the Old Testament and how it helps us to know God's love for us and how we have faith and how we follow him. And we always focus on the men. You know, there's Abraham, there's Moses, there's David, and so on. And the more I've been teaching, the more I realized beside every man is a woman. (laughs) And these women in the Bible, they're not just arm candy. You know, they're not just there to bear their babies or something. They are really integral parts of God's plan. And so I think I really wanted to focus on those women of the Old Testament and show how they contributed to God's plan. They're ordinary women like you and me, and yet God used them in really wonderful ways. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And so doing that, how did you get to the process of picking out which women to talk about? Ah, interesting question. So I can't remember the quote right now, but there was there's something in the catechism where it talks about the women of the Old Testament who paved the way to Mary. And that intrigued me because Mary is a new Eve. We talk about her as, you know, Eve is the first one who kind of lost her faith in God, lost it for the rest of us. And then Eve comes and she undoes that knot with her yes to God. She undoes the knot of Eve's no. And so all along through the Old Testament, we see these women who prepare the way for Mary. So I did it as kind of a pilgrimage through the Old Testament, starting with Eve, who started it all, and then going kind of chronologically through picking out some of the main ones and looking at how they're preparing for Mary, who is you know, ultimately the mother of the word and they're prefiguring her. That's so beautiful. I love, this is why I love talking about to the author, like what was the plan? Because you can just take a look at the contents. You can look at like the list of the women that Sarah has written about. But to know that you've chosen these as this pilgrimage to end with Mary is so, that's so profound in terms of like how we can read through this, knowing that beforehand, reading through and keeping that in mind as, as we read about Eve and Sarah and Lee and Rachel and Miriam and all of the, all of the other women that you have listed here before, you know, below here, that is beautiful that you've done that. Well, they're really also, they're, they're women of the word. I mean, they're women who are in the Bible, but they are women who in some way hear the word of God and they listen to it and they follow it in whatever, sometimes a very broken way, sometimes a little bit more successfully. Ultimately, they're receiving God's word, allowing it to take shape inside of themselves. And that's what we want to do. That's what Mary does. Mm, I love that. Okay, so let's let's kind of dive into a couple of the chapters here that I think would be really wonderful for our listeners to hear. The first one, if you don't mind, could we talk about Leah and Rachel? Uh, is that because of your name? <laughs> I was, <laughs> yes, partly so. I actually just had a joke recently on like Instagram talking. It was, this is, this is so random, but like it was something that was going on and on Instagram and it was, oh gosh, I just forgot her name. 
Oh, yeah. She's, I mean, she's quite famous. She's a motivational speaker, Rachel Hollis. And so somebody had sent me something of something that Rachel had said in, in like one of her talks that I have also said in one of my talks, just, you know, coincidentally or something like that. It wasn't a novel rocket science idea, but we both had said it from a stage and somebody had sent it to me with like her quote. And I, um, I just, I ended up like tagging her and saying, Rachel, does this remind you of any other two women in the Bible or something like this? Just as a joke, because Rachel's out there. She's like, has like a million followers. And it was just, I was playing off of the reality that actually happened in some pieces of Leah and Rachel. I love Leah and Rachel. I've read this chapter that you have read here. And obviously there's my namesake is there. I remember growing up, I I was in part named from, from this story, Lee and Rachel in scripture. And my mother always had for all of us kids, these little plaques. I'm sure maybe some, some of you out there had the same thing. And the plaque had like our name and it was like this soft little rainbow behind it. It was framed in wood. And then underneath it, it would have the scripture meaning of our name. And I was so bothered by the definition that was on this plaque. And it was, um, Leah means the weary. Oh, dear. And it was this rendition or this definition of it. And I didn't understand. I think probably close, maybe maybe they were pulling it from like her eyes were weary or something as the scripture kind of talks about. But, um, and you know, for me, I just like, I didn't, I didn't know the story of Leah and Rachel all that well. For me, all I knew is Leah was the sister, the younger sister to Rachel. She was the ugly one, but she could have all the kids. And Rachel was beautiful and favored and for a while couldn't um, have children. And so that's all I knew, but I loved, and, and granted, I've, I've learned more about that, you know, in my theological studies myself, but reading this chapter of how you have written about it and the insights that you have in, in into this story are really wonderful. I loved reading this and being like, oh yeah, that, that does make sense. Like I never thought about it like that. And like to see the bigger picture, as you said, around these two sisters that really, in my opinion, resemble the sisterhood of us women. I mean, th- what these two sisters deal with are what many of us deal with, with our not just biological sisters, but our sisters in Christ, the sisters that we have, that we work with, that we live with, you know, that are in our life in a variety of different ways. And this, as you, as you recall in, in, in what you even state in this chapter, but the idea of both of them deal with this this pain and this void that is not filled how they would like it to be filled and then really coming back to identity. And I think that is a beautiful place where we could kind of dive into. And I'd love for you to talk to us about Leah and Rachel and give us kind of maybe share with us those same insights that I read in this particular chapter. I'd love to. I love this chapter. And I think the more that I studied it, I started to see new things. For example, Leah is always portrayed as being, as you said, the ugly one. She has weak eyes or whatever. And I started looking into that word and I I discovered that it's really hard to translate it. And one of the ways to translate it is kind of doe-eyed or lovely. And I started to think of how even if you're lovely and your sister is more beautiful, 
she's your older sister, or you're actually, Rachel was the younger sister, but we suffer from this comparison. And I don't have any sisters. I have four brothers, but I use an example from when I was in high school. I'm the oldest. And two years later, my little brother comes into high school and he's instantly popular. Everybody loves him. And I'm known as Joe's sister. And that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, just being compared to someone who is more beautiful, thinner, you know, more put together, whatever. And here's Leah all her life suffering from comparison to her younger sister. But then what the story throws into perspective that you see is that for all of her beauty, Rachel is pretty impoverished inside. It's like she depends so much on that shell of beauty and that that fact that everywhere she goes, people light up and love to look at her and think she's all that. (laughs) She depends on that. So when the one thing that she wants, she doesn't get, she doesn't know how to handle it. And she just crumbles. Whereas Leah um, I guess I should back up a little bit and tell you kind of how it how it unfolds. What happens is they're both married to the same guy. Leah is um, basically the baby mama and Rachel gets all the love and they both want what the other one has. Well, as Leah has her babies, she names them really aching things like, oh, maybe this time my husband will love me now. You know, that's the meaning of Reuben, I think. And you kind of watch as she pours her grief and her longing into the names of these boys. But then by number four, she learns something and she calls him Judah, which means this time I will praise the Lord. And so we see this growth in the inner beauty of Leah, while Rachel just gets more and more bitter and upset and just angry at her sister, so that when she finally, finally has a baby, um, what she says about him is, you know, actually, it's when she, her maid has a baby for her. She says, you know, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I won, (laughs) you know, so there's this this incredible rivalry between the two. And what I drew out of that was the way all of us, you know, we're all given different things. We have good aspects and bad aspects, but when we focus on the thing that we don't have and we fail to be grateful for what we do have, we end up becoming bitter and angry and kind of hollowed out. Whereas when we focus on God and being grateful and on praising him the way Leah was learning, that's when our hearts open up and God can fill us with all the goodness that he has for us. That I love what you wrote there too. In reading this, you said that, that you, like Leah had learned this lesson after those three children and realizing that the ache she longs for is just not going to be fulfilled the way that she hoped or the way that she had she thought that it should, especially seeing probably other women in her life and other families being fulfilled in that way. And of course, right there, her sister getting the love from Jacob. But you had you you actually wrote something. It, it's it's real I mean, what she wrote is relatively simple. I've heard it said before. It hit me in a new way as I read this. And you had said and talking about Leah, her situation didn't change, but she did. It's just so, that's so profound is that sometimes our situations can't or won't change. 
And sometimes they're based on the will of other people. Other people have to choose to maybe change or choose to maybe treat you better or love you more, whatever that might be, I guess, pertaining more closely to Leah's situation. And she sees that her situation wasn't going to change and she couldn't force that change to happen. So she did the only thing she could do. She just changed herself. She changed her perspective and how she saw what was going on in her life and began to praise the Lord and what she did have. I just find that so profound in all of our lives. I feel like all of us, there's like probably something in, in each one of our lives right now. I mean, even as you listen to this podcast, there's probably something right now you're going through and you wish it was different, but you can't make that change for someone else or for the situation itself. But what we can control is sometimes the most powerful. And and the thing, the key to changing ourselves, I think is right here in what she named Judah when she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And there is, somehow there is an incredible power about taking our eyes off of ourselves, looking at God and praising him for who he is, for what he has done, for the things he's promised us, all of that. It opens our hearts in a way that we don't always have the key on our own to be able to do that. But he can do that and praise unlocks that. I love that. Okay, so so seeing this with Leah and Leah's be, Leah in this point in in this story here is is learning this very important lesson of turning her heart from bitterness to praise. So what about Rachel though? You go into this and I I want you to lay this out. This is this gets really good. I love to hear what what, what happens here in this piece of the story of how this unfolds too because it doesn't un- it it doesn't unfold the way that you might think, right? Not everything's a happy ending in the Old Testament or just in life in general. So could you kind of go into Rachel and how she cannot be satisfied? Yeah, she she's tough to read, I think, because in her her bitterness and her resentment over her sister, she also kind of loses her love for Jacob. In fact, you kind of wonder if she ever even loved him at all. She ends up accusing him because she's not having children. He's like, am I God to you? I can't give you children, you know? So they end up fighting and she's fighting with her sister. But the really interesting thing to me was that as I as I read and studied and so on, The Jewish people really remember Rachel very beautifully for her tears and for her compassion. And the first thing that they think about with her compassion is the fact that here she was all set to marry Jacob and Leah got Jacob. And what what a lot of the the ancient, you know, the rabbis and so on have commented on is that she let her have him that this was her older sister who wasn't as good looking. There'd be plenty of choices for Rachel. And she let her sister have this man. And then, of course, she ends up married to him also. But that's that was compassion on her part, compassion that's short-lived, as we see. But then later on, she gets buried by the side of the road. The family's traveling. And everybody else, Leah included, gets buried in the, you know, the, the great family tomb, but she's buried by the side of the road. And many, many years later, this ends up being the road that the Northern Kingdom, who incidentally is most of the families of Leah's children, that they leave into exile on. 
and I forget which prophet it is, talks about Rachel crying for her children. And they attribute partly the return of the of the southern kingdom or whatever, the return after the Babylonian exile. They come back to the land. They attribute that at least in part to Rachel's prayers, even after death, crying for her children, which I think is very beautiful. And then the other thing that's interesting to me is we have after this the story of Joseph who has to be one of the most admirable, godly men in the entire Old Testament. He is a total figure of Christ. He is Rachel's firstborn. And he gets sold into slavery by Leah's children, who are jealous. And he doesn't have a bone of jealousy in his body, and he has no resentment. It is a complete opposite of the sister's which we probably don't have time to go into now, but Joseph in the end is telling the boys, you know, you may have meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And you see the hand of God working through the story with all of their failings, all of their jealousies, all of their anger and everything. But Joseph's Rachel's son, and I, he's the son after a long time has passed. And I just wonder, did she learn some lessons that she passed down to that boy? And was she a spiritual mother of one of the greatest people that we know? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I have to ask the question. I love that. Yeah, you can have so much compassion for both women, right? It's, it's sometimes you we might, you know, identify ourselves more with one or the other, maybe because of our own personal life and what's happened. But the compassion to have for both of them is so important to see that these two broken women are trying to learn from their own past mistakes. And and like you said, sometimes we don't really know what their final lesson was, if they really did get it, or if it, if they, if, if, if they died still with an ache that was unfulfilled. But one of the things that you wrote regarding Rachel and Leah, that is, is, is obviously very prevalent today, but this obvious piece of envy between them. And you talk about that envy doesn't just want something someone else has, but it actually feels their success as a personal affront. Like they're in some ways offended that that person is successful for what they're doing and what they have because they feel that they should have it and it should be theirs. That I have found, not just in myself at times, if I'm being perfectly honest, but also this seems to be for me what I receive from many, many young women who share their heart with me, that some pieces of what they're going through comes down to this piece of envy. And then with that, as it's carried through, as you said, almost this family lineage through Joseph and then Leah's sons who 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 sell him into slavery, throw him in a pit, right? <laughs> and about ready to let him die. I mean, this idea of like the, you know, all of these things in the family that are kind of coming down generation to generation. I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but what can, is there anything we can do to kind of stop that? Because as you had mentioned, it all, like, we have to ask a question we don't know, but it almost seems like Joseph, this very righteous and good and holy man, he put an end in what he could to stop what, what, you know, the envy that his brothers had for him, what they did to hurt him, harm him, practically kill him, and then did something very, very good with that, continue to praise the Lord and, and to be a good man. And he kind of, in, in some ways, tried as much as he could to stop that lineage of envy 
that was coming down from the family. Is there anything that we can do if we see that going on in our own lives to help us kind of break those those evil holdings upon us? You know, there's the sort of glib answer. And then there's, if you think about it happening in your life, it is hard. It is really hard. And I think if you're envious, if you're resentful, if you have been hurt, if you hate, all of those feelings that we have toward other people can really, really do a number on our own spiritual state. And, you know, the only thing that I have found in my life that works is that when I find those feelings coming into my mind, I try to force myself to say, you know, God, please bless Rachel, this beautiful woman who I'm envious of, or, you know, God bless that person who has hurt me. And I try to turn my heart toward praising God and asking his blessing on them, even though I don't always mean it, (laughs) but I just keep saying it. And somehow over time, that works as a kind of a medicine or a balm and helps to turn me around. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's it is hard. It's very very hard when we see those things happen in our families and in our own lives and we see this this thread unfortunately that seems to carry on. And I love your response to that. It was that was the same that was the answer given to me from my spiritual director years ago when I came to him with these problems of envy and he just told me just what you said. He's like, then pray for them. You need to pray for them. You need to, that, that need, they need to be added to your daily prayers. You need to pray and wish the best and ask God to bless them. Just as you said, that's beautiful. I mean, and that I can tell you, as you said, it takes time, but it is that balm. And there was a softening of my heart where things began to change and I began to see them in a better light have maybe more compassion or understanding, or even if there wasn't an understanding, just just realizing I don't understand and I leave it to you, God, about some of those things. But the good news is that it does soften us if we allow God to work in the ways that he loves to work, which is to restore us and to heal us in that process. I think Leah and Rachel, there's just, there's more lessons that I could even point out, but I mean, it's amazing what you were able to unpack in those few pages that are so rich and deep that you could just meditate on that for the whole year. Mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness you did. You are the author of the book. So we're happy to hear that one. Definitely. Leah and Rachel, what an amazing group of women, two sisters, hearts in pain with identity and aches and and the the draw to to fill that ache. We can do that obviously in a lot of different ways with God or with the world or with things in between. Moving into another one of the characters that we talked about. This is one I am not familiar with all that much, to be honest with you. I know some, I know probably like the soundbite pieces to her, but I do not know the depth of which you wrote about her. So I'd love for us and for, for myself and for our listeners to have you talk about Rahab. Hmm. I love Rahab. And I'm not surprised you don't know that much about her because there's not really a whole lot about her. But I'm sure you know the story, the story of Joshua, you know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And that is mostly what we concentrate on because 
from Israel's point of view, they're coming into the promised land at last. And as they enter, there is this massive fortified city that they're going to have to conquer. And Joshua is the leader of the army. And he's terrified, and all the Israelites are afraid. And so what the Bible does is it gives us this little contrasting picture from inside that city. Inside that city, there is a woman. So that's one count against her in that day and age, right? She's a woman. She's a prostitute. And she's a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. She doesn't, you know, she's not one of God's people. So in terms of the overall story we're following, she really is nobody. And yet she's the hero of the story. She's the one who has the faith. And what I I love about her is that Here is somebody whose entire world is about to fall apart. There's an army standing outside that they know is going to defeat them. And the entire country is just quaking in fear. And what she does is she looks at those same facts, but she looks at them a little bit differently than the other people in her country. She knows what God has done in the past. 40 years ago, he brought the people across the the Red Sea unbelievable, defeated the Egyptians. And since then, he's given them incredible victories. She says that they all know that, you know, God is God above in heaven and earth. This is a polytheistic society, you know, whatever you believe, that's who is God, just like ours. (laughs) And yet she believes that this is a God who's above everybody. She sees that the God's greater, that he's giving them victory, and that he has promised them the land. So, In my mind, three things. She sees what his character is, who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised. And instead of saying, oh, no, everybody run for the bomb shelter, we're dead, she says, I'm going to be part of that. And so she risks her neck to save the spies that come through the city. She saves them, and she says to them, basically, my life for yours, you know, they give her a, they ask for a pledge and she gives them this scarlet cord. And here's what I really love. Tell me if I'm having too many details here. <laughs> so a, she, she dyes fabric and so on. And she has a cord, a rope that's, that's dyed scarlet. And a cord is made up of several strands that are woven together that, that make something very strong. And the word for cord in Hebrew is tikva, T-I-K-V-A-H. And it's actually the word for hope. So a hope, to me, the cord that, that she has that gives her hope and that gives them hope that, that God is going to come in with them and deliver this into their hands and save them and also that will save Rahab is the cord of who God is and what he's done and what he's promised. And that is the thing that they can hang on to just as they hang on to that cord when they escape out the back window of her house. That's how they get away. And then she leaves that cord hanging there outside of her window. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, Here's Rahab and the spies. They have between them this sign that's giving them hope that they're going to be saved, all of them. It's giving Rahab's family hope because if they come into her house with them, they're going to be saved. But think about the Israelite army that's terrified. They have to march around that wall seven seven days in a row. 
They're marching around. All they're allowed to do is be quiet while they march. And then the trumpets blare, you know, at the end. But if you've ever been in Israel, everything is tan. The sky, the the rocks, I mean, there's tan and blue. If there's anything red within miles, you see it. It just stands out like a light in a dark tunnel. And I'm imagining them walking around that that wall every day and seeing Rahab's cord and how it would have given them hope too. Hope that yes, God is with them. God can help them conquer this land. And so this, this image of this woman who has no hope and yet who hangs on to this rope of hope of who God is and what he's going to do. It's just the most beautiful thing to me because of course, when the army comes in, then the, the walls fall, just God makes them fall and they come in, they conquer the city, they save Rahab and then she's rewarded. She has actually brought into the chosen people of God and she becomes an ancestor of, of David the King and eventually of Jesus Christ. So awesome reward. Another interesting thing, she becomes the grandmother, I think it is, of Boaz who marries Ruth and Ruth is another foreigner who comes into the, who comes into Israel and Boaz is the the man who looks past her background and so on and marries her and, and raises her up. And so there's this beautiful sense of inclusion of people, whoever they are. I don't know, lots of things going on in this story. I love, love, love this story. I, I'm so happy that you included her in this book and, and hearing about it, you know, now I can say, well, of course she would have <laughs> because look how amazing she is. But honestly, even me coming into this chatting with you, I didn't know a lot about her. You just talking about her. I'm like, oh my goodness, what what a, and, and you're right, this pilgrimage through these women points you like these virtues that that these women are showing at times really does point us to Mary, right? I mean, the hope that Mary had to have at the foot of the cross when everything was falling apart. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and I mean, I'm just like thinking, I mean, and I, who knows, I'm just thinking this and kind of spitballing it, but like that red cord that Rahab had, I mean, the red streams of blood coming down from Christ on the cross. I mean, the beautiful symbolism that you can see threaded through salvation history of these women and, and, and how they kind of create this beautiful pedestal in a sense that God's chosen for Mary to be on as queen of us and and mother to us all. I mean, I am, I just, it's all so beautiful of what you've done to put this together. This is, my friends, this is not just, you could easily identify some of these books as, oh, this is just a, a collection of works of women that I can just, you know, read and put down and read and put down as these separate entities. What Sarah's done in this book is so intentional Hopefully you can see that even through just this this interview right here of what she's done to thread this through, to relate to us in our own personal lives, to show us this beautiful thread, this family lineage of, of salvation history that comes through and how it, it connects to Mary, connects obviously to Christ and to our very lives today where you're at right now, whatever you're going through. I mean, Sarah, you've done a fabulous job. Oh, thank you. You know, one thing you just made me remember, I wanted to show that that family lineage continues, that it it goes right through to you and to me and to everybody who's listening. And the way I did that was that every 
woman that I wrote about, I paired with a woman who I know, who has been kind of a spiritual mother to me in my life, and who has taught me how to have faith by the example of their life. And most of them happen to be in my biological family. It doesn't need to be like that. We all ha- we all have spiritual mothers as well as physical mothers, women who have shown us what it means to have faith, who have let us know that God is there even when we can't see him and so on. And so we look to these mothers of faith in the Old Testament, but there's the mothers in our lives as well. And I'm my hope is that people in turn will start thinking about, oh, well, how have I seen God work in my life? And how can I pass that story on to somebody else and just continue that chain? And then at the at the end of this, you obviously relate it back to back to our mother, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the true mother of faith, Our Lady. And I was wondering if you could before we get to the challenge and everything else that we're going to do to wrap up, but could could you share that story that you wrote in there? Just so it was short, but it was so beautiful. I loved of your uncle and the pilgrimage that you took to the Holy Land and the connection between with with with, with Mary and the fact of all of these 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 men and women of the Old Testament. Could you, would you mind sharing that? Because I think that was so beautiful of how you tied that together. Well. Just to explain a little bit, I'm a convert, and my family is all very, very strong evangelical Protestants who are a little bit mystified now at at my decision, but very, very wonderful, strong Christian people. And one of the things coming into the Catholic Church that I really had a hard time with was Mary. I thought of her as a set of doctrines. And I didn't realize that she was a person that I could get to know. And it took it took a lot of years. In fact, I'm still kind of in that process, just of, of learning to appreciate her and go to her as a mother and so on. So I, I helped to lead pilgrimages with Dr. Ted Sri in the Holy Land. And they're Marian pilgrimages, very specifically Marian. And one of my uncles wanted to come along with me. And I was like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, this is Marian and you don't like Mary or you don't want to, you don't like what Catholics think about her. And he insisted that, yes, he wanted to do this. So we go on the pilgrimage and I'm pretty nervous about what this is all going to lead to. And we went to the place where it's recognized or thought that Mary was assumed into, not assumed into heaven, but where she died and uh, and was taken up into heaven. And we're there praying and so on. And he goes around to the back of the room and just kind of sits by the side of the wall and he's watching everybody. And he told me later, he said, this he saw this old woman kind of shuffle in and go to the back where there was this big picture of the Blessed Mother. And this old elderly woman just walked up to her and laid her cheek up against the, I don't know if it was a painting or a mosaic or whatever it was, a painting, I think, laid her cheek against Mary's breast and closed her eyes and stood there probably for a full minute. And then she obviously was praying. She crossed herself and she kind of shuffled off. And my uncle said that was such a profound thing for him because he realized how Mary is a mother. And I just thought that was so beautiful that he realized what it was taking me all these years to realize that she is our mother. And she's a mother that we can go to for all kinds of things, obviously, but she's also our mother in faith. And... 
I, I thought of all the all of these women who are progressing, you know, through the ages, who their stories kind of foreshadow hers and so on. And I don't know if this is where you wanted me to go, but this is where I'm what I'm thinking. When I think of Mary as our mother in faith, I think of the thing that Jesus said when he talked about who who is my mother? You know, who are my brothers and sisters? My mother is the one who hears and keeps my word. And that Mary is this example to us of a woman who listened to the word of God, even when it made no sense and probably would could possibly wreck her life. <laughs> she heard that word of God. She opened herself to it. She received it. She allowed it to take flesh inside of her. And she bore Christ to the world. And that that's what we do. Uh, whether you're a man or a woman, if you're a Christian, that is our goal, to hear the word of God, to allow it to implant itself within us, to kind of become pregnant with the word of God, and to bear Christ to the word, to bear testimony to Jesus, to allow him to be formed within us. And that, that to me is, is just one of the most beautiful aspects of getting to know Mary and to trying to become like her. I love that. I, I don't know how we could end better. That is just beautiful. I love what you've done with this book. As you said, it truly is a spiritual pilgrimage through the Old Testament. And I say ends, but it just keeps going. But it, it ends there with Mary, which is just so deep, unending amount of love and grace that she pours forth, given to her from Christ. I love what you've done with this, Sarah. This is so good. Oh, thank you. So, so good. Okay, so before we wrap up, would you mind giving a challenge to our listeners? Sure. I think I will take it right from the title, which is to become a woman of the word, be a woman of the word. And how do we do that? Just with Mary, first of all, we have to read the Word of God. And you could start with these stories of these women in the Old Testament. Read them, get to know them, ask how they heard the Word of God and heard the call of God, and how were they able to answer that, and so on. And then, so to, to listen, ask for the courage to actually act on that Word, and then finally to pay it forward, to try to pass on the Word that you hear both by what you're doing and also by encouraging other people, by being a spiritual mother to others and just passing on that legacy. Oh, I love it. Sarah, thank you so much for, uh, and uh, so, I mean, for everything, for obviously your life and what you've done for the church, in particular for this book and how it's going to help us women connect with the women of the Old Testament and ultimately through the mother of faith, Mary, mother of God. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. You are welcome. And thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk about it. You bet. You bet. You're welcome anytime here on the Do Something Beautiful podcast. So wonderful. And for you, my fabulous listeners, thank you so much again for joining me. And please do me a favor. Leave me a comment and a rating in iTunes so that we can get more of those up. That helps create, that helps the podcast become more visible so that maybe people who are looking for a new podcast to listen to might grab this one and then be inspired of to be 
become women of the word. If you want to dive deeper into this, if you want to truly accept Sarah's challenge, I truly believe one of the easiest ways to do that is to grab this book and begin reading. Sometimes opening up that whole big Bible can feel daunting at first. If that if that sounds familiar to you, this would be an excellent place to start. Don't worry, we're going to have her book. You can grab it. It's where all books are sold, but we will include the link to grab it in my podcast notes. So you can just grab this book right now. Please make sure that you get more than one copy. You're going to read this. You're going to have so many notes in it and you're going to want to give it away, but then you're going to keep it for yourself because of all of those notes that that you want to go back to. So make sure you get a couple copies and that you give one away to another woman in your life so that you can also evangelize this process and you can maybe read it together. And there could be even possibly some healing that goes on there from Christ in becoming women of the word. Such a great challenge and a great idea to grab this book so that you can have your own spiritual pilgrimage through the Old Testament, ultimate leading, leading to Mary, and of course, their last ending in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Remember, whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you, God bless, and I'll talk to you later. <laughs>